Dilshadavan, dear friends, I feel deeply humbled for two reasons, for many reasons, two reasons. We are all very far from the ideal of yoga that Mother and Shiva have set before us. It is also true that none of us can speak about yoga. And the only way that one can really understand it is by taking a plunge into it. I know that some of us, myself included, have been talking about the path. But the real joy is in walking the path. No amount of book reading about what swimming is can really give us, even if you read the most elaborate details of the physiology of swimming, the benefit it gives us, the calories burnt and everything cannot give us the joy of once taking a plunge into the sea. And when the sea is none else but the consciousness of the mother, and the effort required is nothing less and nothing more than the joy of surrender, then all that one can say is that one is speechless before the wonder that yoga unveils to all of us. Uh, I don't know, I've been like, when, when this issue of speaking on Shurindos Yoga came up, there were two thoughts which came to my mind. One is that really, can we really speak about yoga? The second thought was that what else is there to speak about? Because uh, to my limited understanding, anything that Shurabinda and the mother have written, if you really want to understand it in the true sense, we have to practice yoga. There is no other way to truly understand. Even a simple thing like the ideal of human unity, education, all the seed ideas which are there, which are the, as we can say, the crux of the matter. We cannot understand, live alone, live them, unless we are engaged with yoga in one way or the other. Just not possible. So, I thought that instead of, it's a very good idea, we are all infants and we all babble, but maybe when we babble together, probably like everything else, she will teach us and lead us on the way. In the Life Divine, about a hundred years back, when the world was engaged with one of the fierce wars and darkness, distrust, lack of hope, skepticism, denial of God was everywhere, almost everywhere. Shubindu was writing the earliest preoccupation of man in his awakened thoughts is also his inevitable and ultimate preoccupation. For it returns after the longest period of banishment and denial, survives the longest period of skepticism and returns after every banishment and denial 
What is that obvious preoccupation? He says, divination of Godhead. Search for pure truth and unmixed bliss. The sense of a secret immortality. The earliest formula of wisdom also promises to be the last. The very first thing that strikes us is that yoga is not new. It is as ancient as man himself. In fact, it seems, as a psychologist I could say, that probably man is made actually for yoga and for nothing else. Because nothing else can satisfy him. He cannot be satisfied with the life of mere animality. He cannot be content even if he were to have the splendor of the gods. There is something in him extremely restless. In one of his poems, Shodhindo says, There is a need within the soul of man. The splendors of the surface never sate. For life and mind and their glory and debate are the slow prelude to a vaster theme, a preface to the epic supreme. So, the story of man is an unfinished tale. It is a preface. And there is something in us, extremely restless. Human beings innately like to break rules. I don't know whether it's the right place to talk about it or not, but there is something in us. You make a rule, a rule of nature, forget about rules made outside, rule of nature we want to break it. We want to exceed ourselves. We want to explore the limits. We want to transcend them. This is there in man. From childhood, it's ingrained. And there is no known way that we can really fulfill this innate urge unless we engage in yoga. Because essentially behind all these seekings and strivings and hopes and frustrations and expectations, there is this striving that one day we will arrive at some kind of an absolute, an absolute of truth, an absolute of bliss, an absolute of love, an absolute of freedom, an absolute of perfection. So yoga is ingrained in man. He is programmed in such a way that he cannot rest till he engages himself with yoga. That we are not conscious of it. We know Shrivindra has spoken that there is a long phase, preparatory phase, before we try out all kinds of things and we learn and grow and a time comes that we are ready for a conscious yoga. The only difference is that we either do a subconscious yoga or a conscious yoga. But in a still deeper sense, if we go to the roots of the word yoga, we find that yoga is even more ancient than man. In fact, yoga is more ancient than the root of our hills. That's how Shubhinda puts it so beautifully in one of his powerful passages. It's even more ancient than the root of the hills. It is by yoga that the divine holds this creation together in his embrace. This is not a metaphor. When we hear mother's um, prayer where she says, I hold the earth in my embrace and the kiss of benediction is laid upon the struggling atom. She's not saying poetry. It's a fact of yogic experience that one can take the whole world within one's own embrace. It's a reversal of the view. 
If you look at from the little human size, we think universe is an expansion. When we see from the yogic point of view, the universe is the result of God limiting himself. It is not the result of God expanding himself. It is the result of the divine limiting himself by process of self-limitation. He becomes this universe. That's how it's written the life divine. Constant by self-loss, by self-limitation. He, begin, he becomes this uh, universe which is, uh, we could say, as infinite as it is finite. So limitless. And this is an act of self-concentration, self-limitation, self-loss. So it's by that yoga that he holds this universe together. For yoga literally means to unite. And he holds it in a secret heart of oneness that takes us to the fundamental mystery of yoga which Shobindo repeatedly brings out and I think this is the central point which all of us need to remember that yoga is not done by man yoga is done by the divine by yoga he brings out all the possibilities which are involved in matter by yoga he holds this creation together by secret power of yoga, he not only brings out but sustains and dissolves the cycles of creation. It gives a very vast sense to yoga and a very vast sense to the meaning of our lives. Yoga ceases to be just a mechanical process of some breathing techniques and some mantra japa and you know some occult practices and some you know even 14 day course in yoga and two weeks lessons in nirvana and you know some kind of psychedelic experiences being labeled as yoga whole life whole creation is an act of yoga and who is doing this yoga the divine is doing this yoga so what is our role we can do there is a very beautiful word in sanskrit sah yoga the word literally means collaboration. We can collaborate in the process of yoga. We cannot do yoga. To imagine that I can do yoga, we don't even realize what a limited zone of consciousness in which we live. Shobinda in one of his short passages says, short letters, a veil behind the heart and lid above the mind. This is how we live. Our life is lived in a prison. Prison. There's a beautiful line in Savitri where he speaks about this prison. This world is a bondage and a jail. We don't even realize that we live in a jail. And we are very happy living in the jail. We are very happy perpetuating the jail. Even making the prison bars thicker and thicker. We don't realize how limited we are. We don't know what is going to take place next moment. This is the colossal ignorance in which we live. And imagine with this puny mind, this little mind, we believe we can measure the infinite, let alone engage ourselves with him. Our heart is caving in a very small, narrow, idea 
it can feel a little emotion and it immediately spills over. Little joy it cannot hold, little love and it spills over, little happiness and it begins to anticipate sorrow, what's going to come next. You know, it's difficult when human beings are happy for quite some time, they start suspecting things and so do the doctors. Are you okay? You are too happy for too long. <laughs> so, it's strange, you know, we cannot love beyond limits, we cannot be happy beyond limits, we cannot even be peaceful beyond a limited period of time. Everybody likes to sit in Mati Mandir, everybody loves to go to the Samadhi. After half an hour we become restless. We want to come out because even peace tires us. We live in so much, such a small consciousness. And what is that vastness? As I entered, you know, the, the book of Kingdoms of Greater Knowledge that was opened from Savitri. What a line where silence listens to the rolling of the worlds. Silence listens. And what does it listen? Not our human noise in which we drown ourselves. Worlds after worlds are rolling. And yet the divine becomes so small and limited like us. We speak of the mother, you know, as if she was another person born in so and so date and died on so and so date. How does Shirdinder describe in Savitri? The ages are the footfall of a tread. And all creation is an endless act. This is not poetry, this is not metaphor. This is a fact of inner life. But when we compare it to the facts of our outer life, we see the great, great difference. So the very first thing we learn when we step into the path of yoga, or we are made to learn that one cannot do yoga by oneself. It stands to logic actually. Our logical mind can little bit think logically. Shavindu writes in one of his letters, if the divine is something beyond the mind, because then only yoga becomes meaningful. If the divine is simply like our mind, then he is not worth really achieving. We know what our mind is. But if the divine is something beyond the mind, then what it will do? How will it help if we keep on running all kinds of thought within the mind and think that by thinking we can arrive at Him? It's a logical impossibility. And if there is a consciousness beyond the mind, then it stands to reason that that consciousness can lean down and help us and facilitate the whole process of our yogic journey. This is a basic any simple logic would tell us, it doesn't require a great thought, that if there is a consciousness beyond mind, obviously, if we keep moving in the mind by any amount of mental method, we cannot understand it. The only way to understand is to become that consciousness. And the only utility of mind, truly the utility of mind, is to make an effort to get into that consciousness. And the best effort it can make is to shut up and remain silent. Because that consciousness can then find room and space to enter. 
This also one learns as one moves on the path of yoga. That the quieter you are, the less you speak about yoga, the more you are engaged in the practice. It grows, it grows. And there are no limits to it. There are no limits to it. There are no halfway homes. It's so easy to remain in one of the halfway homes. In another letter, Shurinder speaks about because the word spiritual, you know, often Shurinder has used the word supramental. And very often, you know, when we speak about yoga, supramental, spiritual, everything appears same because it's quite natural, you know, for us, our mind, everything is the same. Some joy we experience, some peace. Shurinder speaks of the difference between the spiritual and the supramental because between this small little mind in which we are shut and that truth consciousness which Shurabindu has brought down to earth and which would be working, which is working on earth and we have to prepare ourselves to it, for it. This whole zone of consciousness where the grey matter of our brains, one good things the scientists have done are some names they have given. This they have very beautifully used the word grey matter. Because really our mind always moves in a zone of grey. What we know today, we are not sure of it tomorrow. So it's literally grey. Between this grey and the perfect light, the one light that lights up everything else, there is a zone where greyness becomes less and less and light becomes more and more. And it's so easy, each of these zones carries its own splendor, its own riches, its own power, its own knowledge, its own certitude, its own ananda. The general term for it is the higher consciousness. And one touch of it and one may easily be led into a delusion that one has touched the supramental. So the, the second thing or the third thing very important that one learns on this path is to be very, very humble. To never fall into the trap of the voice of the ego declaring itself that I have arrived. There were people even during Shurabindu's time who were saying that you know, I have glimpsed the supramental. And you know, sometimes at one point I used to feel how can somebody be as foolish as to think, you know, with all the ego that we carry to believe, you know, that one has. But, I am sharing a real, uh, real life experience in one of the centers in Delhi. We used to read Shurabindu's writings. And uh, there was a group which used to come and do some kind of uh, you know, healing seances and healing sessions. So one day, some of them were passing by and uh, one of them asked the master, uh, you know, he had just come for two days, this man, as I gathered that, you know, I have joined the group two days back and I see an orange light. And the master told him, oh, that must be the supramental light you are seeing. This now, I have heard it in my own ears. And uh, it's amazing, you see, I mean, we can fall into such traps. So much humility is required on this path. So much humility. But as Shurinda said, there are two things which are infinite. And one is the universe and the other is human stupidity. 
even when mother was there in the physical body there were people who felt and believed they have gone beyond her and they have now to do things where mother and children they have left we have to carry it further so much humility is required tremendous humility we are before something which is unprecedented infinite and that humility actually gives a joy it gives a joy that there is so much to discover there is another very beautiful thing about shirobindo's yoga which some people take it as a disadvantage but i feel it's a great advantage one it's very very vast you can't categorize it into this or that system you can't fix a method you can't fix a way <laughs> it's very vast each one does it in his own way there are some key principles but each one does it in his own, own way or in each one it is done in his own way that would be more accurate and the second thing is you cannot stop at any halfway home shobindo just won't let us stop when he writes in one of the letters you know when someone is obviously asked him about spiritual and the supramental he says if the spiritual and the supramental were the same thing then all that i am speaking of would be otios and useless this ashram even as all other ashrams in india and elsewhere would be chock full of supramental yogis should in those words this ashram and all other ashram would be and and nothing new is really required there and then he goes on to specify he doesn't stop there he says one can have realization of the self in all things one can have the experience of the divine everywhere one can even experience the inner peace ananda intuition all these things yet it is not the supramental even to get one of these things is difficult enough for us just to experience the self and then he describes makes makes the difference very clear that these experiences they enrich our inner consciousness that is true because we discover that there is something more than us it enriches now everything else is against the background of that so it does enrich us in many ways we know what we have touched so we know what we miss those who have not experienced the inner ananda of course not the not the true ananda true ananda is practically impossible for human consciousness in its present state but even the touch of the psychic joy if one has not experienced the people would say yes it's each one's way of enjoying life some people do yoga others take to alcohol and yeah, everything is basically happiness because the inner reference point is that but when you have touched this you know what a great difference not just in quantity in quality human language is so inadequate we have to use words which are so familiar and probably this familiarity is a big pain joy bliss so we instantly think bliss and joy as we understand and books are written on how that bliss is same as some of the earthly experiences of joy why because both are called as blissful experiences and we write books and theories but that bliss that stuff of which this world is made human language is distorted everything 
So he says all these experiences even one has one has they enrich the consciousness because even for a moment if one has experienced this separation from this whole universe from this time and space it does help us because now that is the reference point any difficulty distress we know this is going to pass away there is a consciousness greater yet what happens in everyday life he says we are still governed by the mental will we are still moved by the vital joy and sorrows on the surface the only difference this spiritual consciousness does it these experiences that we can learn to separate ourselves at its utmost we can live in our inner being now these are not small things to learn to live in the inner being to enrich that while the surface life goes on as it is and there are several theories that people have evolved to explain this surface life well this is karma this has to go on in its own way in daily life you have to deal in its own way inwardly you should be in that peace and shurabindo says yet this is not enough even at its best it is spiritual it is not supramental a complete and radical transformation of nature and what is that the very stuff of mind is changed into a plenary supramental illumination we no more think with the thinking machine even intuition is insufficient before that light that splendor which he wants to pour upon us our hearts can feel and contain a whole universe of divine love and ananda without spilling it over our will becomes informed by the supreme will it's no more the stumbling and struggling human will we all know you know we decide we should do this or that and there's no certain way that human beings can know whether this is the thing to be done or not to be done by any light or standard that stumbling will can be replaced by the divine puissant will which not only knows but achieves what it wants because it has seen it it can cut through the entire maze of forces that is a imperative supramental consciousness we lack that certitude and then he goes on to say even the physical consciousness the constitution can at its peak as an ultimate crown or end result be so full of that that decay disease disorder and death becomes an impossibility so this is the big journey not just some self realization or some inner experiences some vision some voices some joy some peace but something unprecedented it's an enormous program and that is why all the more even normal yogas are difficult to be done by our own effort supramental yoga is impossible to be done by one's own effort but one can try shubhendra is that way you know he he gives freedom try no problem so what is the central secret of this yoga we all know that famous letter of shubhendra to remain psychically open to the mother she does the yoga you have to be open and receive sounds very simple 
But then the problem is at the other end also. If the question was just to pierce through this zone, in fact, Shubhendra makes a distinction. There is a practical distinction between higher nature and the lower nature. This is a practical distinction. It's necessary at our at our level of evolution. Otherwise, all is divine. This is very vast. And we may end up saying that all life is yoga, so whether I drink or smoke or take to drugs, it's yoga. Because ultimately divine is behind all things. But we have to identify not with the divine in the lower nature, but with the divine in his own self-nature. Not the way that higher nature has become this, but this has to become that. So this is the difference. Divine is on all things, is everywhere. If you read that the beautiful Chubindo's uh, poem, Ahana, where he describes the mother at all levels, even the augur, the demoness, everything is divine. If you go to its essence, it has something of the divine. But we have not to identify with the divine in the lower nature, but with the divine in the higher nature. Not only identify in some moments of luminous trance when we sit in our quietude and we pierce through the vault, this thick skull. Children have little opening in their skull. Probably nature's indication that what we must become at the end of the journey. But as we grow up, this are sealed. Nature's problem to be solved. And the veil within the heart, if they can be pierced, we have some glimpse in some luminous moments, can experience some ecstasy, some touch of the psychic joy, even of the psychic sorrow. And we can pierce to the skull and have those moments. But to live that reality in everyday life. So, this is the essence of yoga. I think uh, we'll have some kind of interaction. I just flow with <laughs> the inspiration and forget the interaction part. So, <laughs> let me just read a passage of Shurveda and then we can have the interaction. It's a sharing session. And I'm sorry I keep forgetting and uh, to forgive me for that. <clears throat> this of course from the synthesis and it's uh, beautiful. All yoga is in its nature a new birth. All yoga is in its nature a new birth. It is a birth out of the ordinary, the mentalized material life of man into a higher spiritual consciousness and a greater and diviner being. No yoga can be successfully undertaken and followed unless there is a strong awakening to the necessity of that larger spiritual existence. Yoga is not a part-time job. It's a 24-7 engagement. It's not a hobby. Like people write hobbies, you know, column. One of them is painting, dancing, music, yoga. So yoga is not a hobby. The acceptance of a new spiritual idea force and upward orientation in the being, an illumination, 
a turning or conversion seized on by the will and the heart's aspiration the mind the will the heart must be fired with this zeal that this is the thing to be done this is the momentous act which contains as in a seed all the results that the yoga has to give the beautiful line in savitri a prayer a master act a king idea this is the master act the momentous act inner act the mere idea or intellectual seeking of something higher beyond however strongly grasped by the mind's interest is ineffective unless it is seized on by the heart as the one thing desirable to all of us shubhendu is telling us we like to use yoga as an information okay let me read a book on yoga next i read something which stephen hawking has written then i compare what he has written compared to the book of yoga and create a mishmash and write a new book on science and yoga the 21st millennium and that becomes a best seller so that kind of intellectual activity doesn't help so he's telling us it has to be seized by the heart as the one thing desirable and by the will as the one thing to be done for truth of spirit has not to be merely thought but to be lived and to live it demands a unified single mindedness of the being and someone asked you about the difficulties of yoga he says they come for everybody and there is only one purpose and reason why they come it is because we are divided and all of them come to unify us they come to show us where we are divided so they come to show us where is our allegiance to lower nature and how far is our allegiance to to the yoga so single mindedness of the being so great a change it's the sublimest of adventure it's really a joy to be even called upon the path leave aside to walk the path just to be called is such a joy if we can be just grateful that the divine hand picked just to reveal that there is a path he'll carry us with the finger just to know that there is this wideness beyond and before is so liberating so he says so great a change as is contemplated by the yoga is not to be affected by divided will or by small portion of the energy or by hesitating mind should i should i forever one remains one step in the water then one step on the shore and keeps so mother says plunge and she says you should be willing to hang hang with nothing but the thread of faith that's yoga to take the plunge so great a change as is contemplated by the yoga is not to be affected by divided will or by small portion of the energy or by hesitating mind he who seeks the divine 
must consecrate himself to God and to God only. So this is the background of the yoga. And then of course, the whole lot of processes, inner processes primarily, which relate to each part of a being, to a thought, what should we do to our thoughts, what should we do to our feelings, what should we do with our will, what should we do with our bodies, which I think we'll subsequently um, share and discuss. But anything now, anything you would like to add and share, it would be beautiful. about the aim, the goal, because other things of course are very vast which we'll be coming up with, just about the aim and the goal of the yoga, the supplemental change.
take this moment of conversion, of self-consecration, that this is the moment when you first set foot on the path. And this is a sign that there's been a divine touch. Yes. Aspiration, conscious aspiration, cannot awaken unless there is a divine touch. One cannot uh, come to the path, if one may say so, unless there is the divine will. Um, this is a very well-known truth actually, not only in Sri Yoga, but in truth of yoga, that one cannot set foot on the path unless he has already been called. And Sri confirms that, that no one can, you know, enter. It's, it's a very ancient truth. Few are, many are called, few are chosen, all this, you know. They are uh, beautiful ways of expressing the same truth that um, if we have an aspiration for the divine, it means the divine is already touched and called us. Now, how long it will take? Many times the aspiration awakens, but the rest of the nature is not ready. So one falls back into the old ways, one has to go through much painful experiences, commits much errors and blunders, yet the touch has been received. So one returns again and again to that point. So this uh, does happen, there are a number of people in whose life this is a reality. But aspiration cannot awaken, the sign of conscious aspiration, uh, the, the, the fact of conscious aspiration is a sign that the divine will is behind it. In fact, Shurabindo has asked us to always remember. In, in, uh, just say, in one of the letters he says that you should always remember in all periods of darkness and despondency that it is he who has called you to the path. Outwardly it looks that we have come to the path. But inner truth is that he who has called us to the path. He is very responsible, he is not like us, so <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> so, first commitment is from his side to take us through. If we collaborate, it's easier, that's the difference. Yeah, yes. This gentleman would like to ask this question in French. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, please. Yes, yes. 
És Kornélió egy így mondja, hogy akkor ma azt nem szabad az Yes, yes. So there are several things together. I'll not make comment on the Krishnamurti part of it because each yoga is specialized in its own way, and Krishnamurti's his way or the way that he uh, he said he is not a teacher, and yet you know. understand the frame in which the question is uh, the path of knowledge or you know also it's a reframing of the buddhist way in modern context so many ways to look at jido's path but essentially it requires that all frames should eventually be abandoned so that one can plunge into that which is beyond all frames so at some point even the teacher becomes an obstacle in in the traditional ways this is a known a traditional path of jnana this is a known thing jnana uses this here to begin with it's a different goal altogether it's to embody that infinity in finite space so if the goal was to plunge into the infinite at one point one has to really abandon everything and plunge into that and be done with all things because even the manifestation of god is a manifestation and manifestation cannot be greater than eventually I mean, that's logical uh, contradiction there but if the goal is to embody that infinity in finite space you cannot do away with the gate it's through that that it comes and you know it facilitates the embodiment that is one part of it second actually we are carried away by the physical form you know that mother when we look at her she is a form and she is very much like us and so always in the human mind this uh, kind of thing may come that well we can do it one has to is this right we are going through a passage eventually one has to leave that and go further i don't know i mean that's how i am at the question uh, because this question somehow didn't occur to me <laughs> when i first saw her i thought uh, i mean it came that she is divine and that was the end of the journey but i can understand the difficulty but if we look at it from another standpoint the embodiment is is basically a means to make that consciousness easily available to us more accessible to us otherwise we cannot even conceive the infinite so from the divine's point of view he becomes human and limits himself to a human form and shape because our outer consciousness can come in contact through that outer consciousness and enter into the infinity so it becomes easier like supposing you don't have any form any symbol any name anything and we were to conceive of some absolute infinite inside and discover it now you see the moment you discover the moment you uh, get in contact with that and if you are aware of it for instance how are you aware of nirvana how can one be aware of nirvana it's a con- it's a state where consciousness is annulled so it's you know human mind cannot grasp it it cannot experience it it's not within the frame of our reference all our references 
So the coming of a teacher is to facilitate that process. It helps in that process for us humans to even in ordinary life, even to learn physics, even to learn mathematics, it helps if there is a teacher. When we talk of something as vast as the spiritual and the supramental, a teacher is definitely a great facilitator. Now, as far as in this yoga is concerned, as I have been saying that she embodies that truth which is not available to human beings and human beings can try it by their own. There is no, no bar that one cannot do it on one's own because surrender is the most courageous act in this world, very courageous. At the same time it is the commonest act that we all do. For instance, when we say that, uh, you know, we are talking about the frame and the gate, that I don't wish to go through the mother and surrender to her, basically it means I surrender to my logical thinking mind. It means that, if you go to its essence, to the bottom of the problem. Because to me that is the path. It can also mean at a deeper level, I surrender to my present constitution, which I believe is capable of arriving at that. I surrender to my, I believe that my present effort, formation can do it. And one can proceed like that. It's not that Shurabindu said that uh, you cannot try it. But knowing the yoga and especially because this yoga passes through many uncharted territories, it's not one of those fixed paths like Jnana Yoga. Jnana Yoga is relatively simple. Whatever arises, you say not this. So any appearance, even the appearance of godly beings, you eventually not this. So you know, at the end of it, you enter into that state of emptiness. But here it's not a state of emptiness. Here is a state of new fullness. Now there is a danger of this yoga because the new things which may come, unless one has developed that degree of discrimination, there are many masquerades which can come and they can mask themselves as divine forces, divine beings, higher nature and there are many people who have walked the path, who have not followed surrender and have been led astray because this cosmos is full of forces about which we have no idea, menacing energies which can really assume a divine form and Shubhindu speaks about them in synthesis, speaks about them in letters and uh, in fact there is a whole plane, the vital world, where he says that uh, where death walks wearing the robe of deathless life. So it's very easy to fall into a big trap and believe that one is in a state of yoga. Therefore, when one has surrendered, the path becomes A, easier, B, shorter, C, swifter, D, safer and most of all, delightful. So, but one can make a choice. So there is no, I mean each one has to find his own being and its call and cry. It should not be termed, made into a... Second, spiritual is not a new frame. Spiritual actually is constantly breaking of the frames. This is the traditional path. You know, you break the frames and eventually go into that. So, when we speak of the mother as the way, it is not to, in a religious sense, you know, that uh, she is the way in that sense. 
uh, that you know one says that if anybody is doing anything else is doing something wrong and you know one has to but for this yoga if one wants this yoga then this is the best way and probably the only way that is there for this yoga but you know one has to see one's own calling it's a challenge it's a challenge it's a double challenge it's a challenge because it's an invitation into infinite adventure this yoga doesn't have a fixed end point because it's a process of evolution so it's a challenge and it's very beautiful because you know as human beings we love to take challenges it's a double challenge because we have to make the great act of surrender very challenging to human individuality is the most difficult thing so it is a challenge Tradition helps at one level, but it also limits us. It's very true. About prayer, Shubhendu says something very interesting. He says it should rise on the crest of emotion. You see, there's a difference between mechanical prayer and there are several kinds of prayers. I have images about prayers. One image is of a crow chasing something. It goes. I, I visualize prayer as birds. So crow, you know, it goes, picks up, hesitates, comes back, picks up, hesitates. Now that is one kind of prayer done with a very hesitating mind, which is full of fear, doubt, etc. It is as ineffective as a crow unless one perceives like a crow. So that is a crow prayer. <laughs> Other prayer is the prayer of the kingfisher, very concentrated, very pointed, but for something low. it is looking for a fish in the water third prayer is prayer of the vulture soaring in the sky but wanting a piece of meat but the most beautiful prayer then of course another bird parrot speaks like humans understands not a word of it and the most beautiful prayer i visualize like a swan swan will not it is said that you know it only wants to eat it, its food is uh, the you know in a lotus you have that thing in the center it's very tasty swan eats only that it lives in manasarovar or you know in those areas 
and it flies with such a beauty and majesty. So I feel the best prayer is that prayer which arises like a swan from the depth of our soul, goes straight to its heights. But since that's not common to human consciousness, it's good at least to know through a parrot that there is something like prayer. But to remain stuck in the parrot is dangerous. <laughs> parrot remains in a cage precisely because it can speak like humans. So, so this is just a, a kind of you know analogies which have often. So prayer to be really effective. One, it should be true. It should be a genuine need. It should rise on the crest of an emotion. The art, you know, in the Indian system, you have this art, artharthi distress call. It should be real to a living presence. It's not that I have prayed, I don't know whether actually there is a God or not, whether he has heard or not. And when we relate with the divine as a living presence, at least uh, I am sure it must be experienced for many of us. It is always, 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 always heard it is also always answer. Sometimes the answer is not to our liking. That is the difference. Because we, you know, we want things to happen the way we want it. And sometimes when the divine has heard our prayer, we say, this fellow is up to this mischief. So it's always good to pray, even for worldly things, you know. Because the divine knows that you are looking for it. So this is very good. I am going to teach you now what it means. So he sometimes grants us our prayers so that we learn the lesson through that. Sometimes he rejects the prayer. That is his answer. And it's hard to say which is a greater love. In Savitri there is a line, Heaven's wiser love rejects the mortal's prayer. So but yet we must pray. And something very beautiful Mother says about prayer and aspiration. She says, aspiration does not require faith in a divine being. You can aspire. Even anybody can aspire. Aspiration simply entails that there is something. That's all. But prayer implies a two-way contact. So, for somebody who is more tuned like a bhakta, Prayer comes more naturally and therefore it helps. It adds a special intensity and flavor to aspiration. Whereas to a person who is more, you know, knowledge oriented, or, you know, just aspiration comes more easily. You know. But prayer always helps. If aspiration can be touched by the prayer, it gives a concrete form and it helps definitely. So... But yes, I agree that tradition, I mean, traditions have a problem also. And the only way we can forget everything, not only tradition, everything else, is to adopt a very simple rule. That rule is a complete fidelity and dependence on the way. I look at it in a very simple way, not in a very complex way. I am a doctor. So when I learnt medicine, my teacher told me this bone is, you know, humorous. Now, I didn't go into debate with the teacher that uh, 
humorous means literally it means this and why do you call it humorous well my teacher could tell me but i learned all this and that was the path to become a good doctor you know the principle now after learning i can make my own discoveries and variations so i feel that if one takes to a path i should be sincere and committed this is fidelity i'll give you an example it may sound very strange but it's, it's like as a doctor i followed it i am supposed to give vaccinations now one day i read a sentence from shurbindo vaccination is based on a dark and dangerous principle now, all my medical knowledge is put to a challenge to me the choice was very simple if shurbindo says so that's the end of the world so i decided that as far as i am concerned i don't do this vaccination but there was in my mind normally you know you understand why he has said things dark and dangerous principle but what is that principle he has not mentioned so you also want to know what is it behind now please don't uh, quote me as being against vaccination because it's my personal way it's not necessary that anybody should the moment it should be everybody's way then it's a religion i am not saying that just sharing sharing session very interestingly within an year's time as a revelation the entire thing came across that yes it is a dark and dangerous principle then strangely articles started coming without my searching now i don't search the net for any of this information they started coming from here there everywhere on the problems and the issues involved so to me it was very clear it was like a confirmation so if shubhendu has said something if mother has said something we have faith in that and we follow that now true we cannot always live up to that standard to recognize it that i am not able to do the way i am expected to be is one kind of sincerity to recognize one's own insincerity but danger is when we summarily dismiss and say that well no no that's not there is a new way there is a different way people have done all kinds of dangerous things and if you read i mean it's amazing what kind of things people have done i can't even i mean speak about them and it's and in the name of mother and shodhana yoga so it's good to have that faith and follow it they have given everything like a child it makes the journey so beautiful because they know the way if i know the way i would be a master and not a disciple <laughs> to me is everything is new so it's always beautiful after all for whom they have given for all of us so we read it and we try to put into practice with complete trust and surrender it makes it so easy and natural yes The biggest comfort is that when mother was asked what do you mean when you say that you have initiated someone into the yoga the mother gave one line reply when i say i have initiated someone it means i have revealed myself to that person now if you really look at it it's very simple 
just as we saw the mother with her naked eyes and people felt she is divine people felt she is human people felt she is this that all kinds of things similarly now some of us naturally awaken to the sense that she is divine this cannot come unless she has initiated there is no way no mentally logical way we cannot convince anyone and it should not be done because then it becomes a dogma the moment this revelation comes from inside it's not based on any logic if you see logic well i mean her life is there she was a french by birth and early education all that we have read and you know she did this that occultism but this revelation that in our inner consciousness we accept mother and shrivu as the master cannot happen unless they have initiated us and touched us which means we carry them as guru still inside and if we are ready this happens and the moment that happens we can say that they are leading us now yes i understand that we could write the letter and a reply could come it has its pluses it has its minuses it's not always safe to have a you know that kind of guru often replies like that because it can after all our consciousness always receives the way it wants to pick up things so there are people who surely the wrote letters and they interpreted in their own way and they went around saying shrivindo has said this and showed that letter these are real instances so the joke of the whole thing is that eventually ultimately it becomes an inner process because even when the divine writes and senses it is the recipient consciousness if it is open it gets the right meaning if it is not open it is misled if it is open and receptive it will get the right guidance anyways maybe through a book maybe through a person maybe just it's open and somebody says something so we have to be now well more rooted in the psyche that is true number 1 number 2 the problem is when the mother is in a physical body lot of physical problems of this external life she could take upon herself that difference is definitely there that humanity has to probably go through more blows doesn't matter few more hammering here and there whereas the physical body serves as a shield because we all belong to the whole creation and she took it upon herself all the blows that otherwise would come directly to the children even now if we can make the act of complete surrender that is possible but now we have to do it very consciously what was done by the very fact that see this and yes one could do away and get away with anything but that's okay that's a small price to be paid but they are there as masters they are leading us and if within my consciousness i accept shrivindra and the mother as the master it means that they have accepted us this is the whole process and this is not based on just my saying it's what they have said very clearly he who chooses the infinite has been chosen by the infinite so that's how one has to take it uh from what i am hearing there seems to be what is known as christianity as predetermination the divine will decide who 
and we cannot decide in spite of our efforts. Is that so? Yes, for yoga, probably uh, it's absolutely so, and this is a grace. It is not uh, to be seen in a sense that, uh, you know, it's not a candidature. It's a grace that not everybody is ready, and if prematurely we pull anyone, and Shurabindu, there are letters of Shurabindu where he says, do not pull people on the path. Because one has to be ready for this adventure. It's a very great adventure, sublimest of adventure, the most difficult and challenging of efforts. And um, it's a 24-7 effort and it has its own difficulties, pitfalls, snares. And unless one is called, that call is an inner call of course. It's very, very dangerous. It's better to be prepared, go through a period of preparation, doesn't matter. Period of preparation may mean reading Mother and Shabdhan's books, reading other books, having some kind of belief, visiting places, going to Samadhi and going down, coming to Matri Mandir, meditating. These are preparatory phases. It's, it's necessary because human consciousness has to be prepared for that. But yoga is when the call comes and definitely it is decided by the Divine. And that is because not everybody is ready to go through the rigors of yoga. It's a new birth. And all birth implies a labor pain. And this birth implies far greater labor pain because ego has held us from every side. It's the very stuff of our being. We are stuck in the weeds of desire endlessly. At every step we are ensnared. And then there are cosmic forces to add to our already heavy burden. So if one doesn't have the calling, it's quite possible that one can be very, very badly uh, wounded or stuck and shogun and the mother. There are a number of stories where they discourage this kind of thing. And if, uh, you know, even when people used to apply to come to the ashram, they were asked to wait many times for years. And there is a very interesting story, you know, about this readiness. It can be, it's an inner thing. It has nothing to do with just knowing and reading. So there was this gentleman who was very impressed reading, reading Shurabindo's writings and he wanted to come to the ashram. And Shurabindo, uh, I, I mean he did not get reply. Normally the reply would come, come. So after few years he asked one of the disciples and you know the over eager, over enthusiastic disciple said, it's okay you come, you know, whoever comes ultimately mother will accept, don't worry you come. So he was so impressed. So he came. Now he came and he was waiting in one of the guest houses um, because the norm was that you have to send a message and then you know the secretary would come, Nolnida and you know some place would be given to him. So he has come unannounced. While he is waiting in the guest house he looks at one of the pictures. And what does he see there? He sees a picture from the frescoes of Ajanta. So he is looking at it he says, how can this be here? This is a place of yoga. And he goes into a great mental turmoil. Even before the secretary comes, he walks away. You see, he was going through very beautifully, reading and preparing for the yoga. When the time would have come, he would have opened so well. Now, you know, it adds to a complication. There are numerous instances. And so it's very, very important that uh, while at one level, yoga should be generalized in humanity. This is true. At another level, People should not be ever pulled into the path. It's very dangerous. So it's very true. 
and definitely Christianity, like you know, all great traditions, it's a very great tradition, has many deep truths in it. One of them is this. What is the dangerous. danger? Every step is a danger. Yeah. Yes, because uh, the danger is of the vital coloring and painting everything. The danger is the ego clinging and uh, you know giving a kind of facade. The danger is from the cosmic forces, the, the adverse forces, the hostile forces. The danger is from the spiritual and divine forces. Even that should be the sense. Even they can come to take you away from the path. So it's full of, uh, because you know, we are face to face with the cosmos in yoga. We are no more confined to our little self and our little life. The effort is worth the trouble, that's true. But it is true that at every step there is a pitfall and a snare. And that's why Shurinder says, each inch gained is a victory because it's a battle. So there is, and at, instead of being disheartened actually, one should look at it from another point. At least that's how I look at it. That wow, wonderful, it's challenging. I mean if the path, <laughs> at another level you take it as a challenge. And to remember that when the divine is with you, the victory is sure. But what may happen on the way, Mother herself has said, she, she never hid anything. You see, she never tried to over-popularize yoga by saying, you come and I will carry you in my arms and... She said that it's an adventure and what may happen to you tomorrow, I do not know. She has used these words. The victory is certain, but definitely, and one should go with full eyes open. Then there is a chance of sincerity coming in. Otherwise, at the first, uh, you know, masquerade, one is uh, laid away and, you know, one can just... And uh, to have the will to go through the very end, it's a joy, it doesn't matter. So that's why it's very important to always remember that she is doing the yoga and she is with us. It makes the path a lot more easier, safer and delightful. Because then the divine stands by her side and takes upon oneself many, many difficulties which otherwise would take lifetimes to overcome. So while in human beings, it's true that at one level human beings are meant for yoga, it's also true that within us nothing is ready for yoga and that's the contradiction in which we live. 